today's passage is from 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 21 to 28. When her husband Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So I now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Rachel, for reading the word for us today. It's our first time joining our team. So welcome, Rachel. Thanks for serving uh, at this capacity. Uh, good morning, Lord's love. I'm so glad you're able to come and worship uh, with us uh, this morning. We're continuing our series called Living Life As. And we started this at beginning of July where we just learned about the different roles that we have here uh, in life, uh, from singlehood to dating to married uh, to um, what else? We talked about sexuality. And last week we had a, a sermon on sex. That was a, uh, that was a good one. Uh, and we have a guest speaker that I'm honored to introduce here. Uh, it's Pastor Andrew Siong uh, from Hope City Church. Uh, he'll be speaking on the topic of parenting and family uh, today. So he'll be continuing the series for us. Uh, Andrew and I kind of go uh, not too far back. Uh, first time I met him, it's 2013 uh, on the missions trip uh, to Ghana, uh, where we bonded and had a friendship forever. Uh, from from that missions trip, and then a few years later, uh, him and Tiffany J, which you know, Tiffany. Uh, they got married, and he uh, took her away uh, from us. Uh, not bitter uh, at all. <laughs> but, yeah, come on. Uh, let's give a very warm uh, welcome, uh, LFC welcome, to Pastor Andrew. Thanks for coming up today. Good morning. Can you guys hear me well? It's been seven years since I've taken Tiff away from you, <laughs> if we're counting. But um, good morning, Lord's Love Church. Uh, really great to be here see, and to see familiar faces. Um, yes, as Pastor Doug said, or Reverend Doug said, uh, we are continuing the series on living life as. Uh, and I have the honor of talking about parenting today. Uh, I don't know why he assigned this topic to me. I'm no expert on parenting, uh, but let's hope that God has something useful to say for, for me to say. Um, I know that God has a word for each person here today. I know we have a mixed crowd, younger, older, parents, not parents, and I hope that we can hear from him, uh, whether we're parents or not. Um, so the passage I feel um, that God impressed on me for today is 1 Samuel 1. Um, so it's the story of Oh, let me just, there we go. Uh, the story of Hannah dedicating um, Samuel to the Lord. And so I heard that you recently had um, child dedication, is that right? Yeah, so that's awesome. That's what this passage is about. Um, so we just heard the last part of the chapter read out for us. Thank you very much, Rachel. Um, and so the plan is to go through the chapter, um, see what we can glean from it, not just for the parents, but as followers of Jesus. And I'm going to guide us through the first part uh, that wasn't read, uh, so we can see the context and what happens up to this point. So uh, before we do that, let me just pray uh, real quick. 
Lord Jesus, as we go through your word this morning, uh, may you speak to us. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you just surround this room with your presence, convict us, challenge us this morning. Open our ears and our hearts so that we would hear what you have to say to each of us this morning. And may you speak to us as parents, as children of our parents, and as your sons and daughters, God. Amen. So let's go through um, the first part of um, 1 Samuel 1 together. It's a bit long, but we'll, go, we'll read through and unpack it in sections. I'll lead us through. Um, okay, so there was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zufite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Yeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. Uh, he had two wives, and one was called Hannah, and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. So after all those names, we're focusing on Elkanah. Uh, I took some time to learn how to pronounce these, but I feel like I, I butchered them anyway. Um, so we're looking at Elkanah, and he had two wives, which is not something that was condoned. Um, do not have two spouses, left the number one. Um, but Hannah was his first wife, and Penina was his second. And so Penina had children, but Hannah was his, um, sorry, Penina had children, but Hannah did not. And perhaps Elkanah took Penina as his second wife because Hannah could not um, bear children. And that's probably what happened here. And so year after year, um, in verse 3 here, so I'm just trying to, or, yeah, okay. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed her womb, or Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. Uh, so they went up every year to worship and sacrifice God at a place called Shiloh. Sorry, I'm just having trouble going back here. Can we, can you help me out here, please? <laughs> uh, no, back. This does not, there we go. Okay, um, so they went up every year to worship and sacrifice to God at a place called Shiloh where Eli's sons were priests and Elkanah would give portions of meat to Penina and her kids with him to sacrifice, as we recap here. But to Hannah, he gave her a double portion because he favored her and he felt sad for her that she was infertile. And the Lord had closed her womb. Elkanah attempted to lessen her sorrow by expressing his love for her through these double portions. And because of this, Penina would provoke her. And so we see um, in the next part, oh my goodness, sorry. <laughs> I'm struggling here. Okay, this went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? So every single year, it's possible here that Penina and Hannah lived in two separate places and they only saw each other at these festivals. Uh, Penina probably boasted every single time about her children and made Hannah feel horrible, obviously. Uh, she probably felt insecure, of course, as the second wife, even though she bore Elkanah children. 
and she saw that Hannah was loved more than her. The love and respect that Elkanah had for her, giving the best portion, the double portion, and Penina was probably hurt and was taking that out on Hannah, taunting her every single year. Maybe she said, oh, Hannah, you're cursed because of sin in your life, so that's why you can't have children. But we're actually about to see that Hannah was a very godly woman. Her barrenness or inability to have children was not a punishment, but a natural condition that God placed on her for his own significant purposes that we'll learn about in a bit. So whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. And a pretty painful encounter for Hannah every year to not be able to have children, which she must have yearned for so much for years and years, and to have Penina rub it in her face. Why would God bless Penina with children and not Hannah? It was hard to understand, but soon she would see what God's plan was for her and Samuel, step by step. That beyond her painful trial, there was a purpose of God to accomplish something great in her life and her son's life, Samuel, to further his kingdom and the salvation of his people. God had things under control, and he knew exactly what he was doing, but it must have been a really difficult journey for Hannah. And then you have Elkanah trying to comfort her here. Why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you down? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? And Hannah was probably thinking, well, you have kids with your other wife, and we have none together. It's not the same thing. Even though he obviously loved her more with that double portion and doing what he could to make her feel loved, um, and Penina probably had 10 sons, uh, possibly, as we're reading here. And this is not something you say to your wife who's incredibly sad about not being able to have kids and having to endure the ridicule of the other wife over and over again. And so Hannah cries out to God. And uh, it says here in verse 9... <laughs> Sorry. It says here in verse 9... Um, once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. Hannah was in deep anguish here, and she was depressed, and she was weeping in bitterness because of her circumstances, and yet she prayed to the Lord. So as followers of Jesus, we are to come to God in times of trouble at all times, but especially in times of trouble. I wonder, how do we react when we are suffering? What is our posture when we are sad and troubled? Do we take our feelings to God honestly in prayer? Do we turn to him or do we turn away from him? And so Hannah prays fervently here, intensely, we can imagine, asking God to remember her. And she made a vow here, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. So Hannah, in her sadness and pain here, she chooses to turn to God, and rather than continue to be bitter or get angry, she asks God to remember her and presents her request for what she had been longing for for such a long time. And she makes a promise to God that if he gives her a son, she will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And she called on the Lord Almighty to consider her and grant her what she so deeply desired. 
And she says, no razor will ever be used on his head. For some background info here, this refers to uh, a Nazarite vow. You can read about it in number six if you're curious. But it comes from the Hebrew word nazir, which means consecrated or separated, set aside. So people that make a vow uh, for a special assignment for God. And maybe we can think of them as maybe monks or nuns who take a vow to serve God. Um, so the Nazarites needed to abstain from grapes uh, and, or anything made from them, so no wine or alcohol, and they cannot cut their hair and have to avoid all contact with anything dead. So this is, these are some of the conditions that you needed to follow back then if you took this special vow. And the vows are generally made for a limited period of time, but Hannah's offering all the days of her son's life here. She is serious about making a commitment to God to dedicate her child for his entire life to serve the Lord. Not just a few years. Uh, typically, a vow like this is made when you're about 25 or 30 uh, to about 50 years old. So you've got like 25 or 20 to 25 years there. And if God grants Hannah a son, she's prepared to give him up all the days of his life. And Hannah was already part of the tribe of Levi here, which God held in high regard. But to dedicate her son even before birth, Hannah took something or, or someone that already belonged to the Lord and was willing to give back to him in an even greater way with this Nazarite vow on her son's behalf. I wonder if God is calling us uh, to dedicate a part of our lives that we haven't been able to or don't want to yet. Or is he nudging you to give your whole life to him so that you can experience what it means to be truly alive in Christ? For parents, is the Lord asking you to trust in him when it comes to the future and direction of your children? How will we respond to God? And as followers of Jesus, will there be this deeper dedication to the Lord that comes out of us like Hannah? And as she kept praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth, and Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. And so she kept praying to the Lord, and the Hebrew here translates to numerous prayers or plentiful or continuous. And Eli, the priest, sees her moving her mouth, but she's praying in her heart, right? She's not praying out loud, and Eli thinks she's drunk and sadly misunderstood what she was doing. And so she says, not so, my Lord. Hannah replied, I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And so Hannah's continue, continuing to earnestly pray and pour out her soul before God. She's so burdened by her circumstances that she is crying out to God here. And Eli answered her, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. So Eli now blesses her, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. As followers of Jesus, we are called to pray fervently in every situation. We already see at the beginning stages here the deep faith of Hannah. Way before she conceives and gives birth to Samuel, she pours out her heart 
before God and receives this comfort from Eli, the priest. May God grant you what you have asked him. May you ask and receive. So there's this release of anxiety here as Hannah has really poured out her heart and let go and chosen to trust in God. And she receives this peace from Eli, who is speaking on behalf of the Lord as the Lord's priest. And there's this reminder here of what God calls us to do when we are troubled, when we are struggling, that God will hear us and that he will grant us peace. And Paul says in Philippians 4, 4 to 7, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is what we are to do as followers of Jesus, to pray fervently in every situation. And then we can find peace when we make our requests to God and trust that he will provide for us, that God will hear us, that he sees us in every situation, in every circumstance, and he will give us that inner peace that only he can give, that can be unexplainable, even in the darkest or most stressful of times when it doesn't make sense to be calm, we can trust that the Lord is near to us and he will not leave us. And so Hannah still chooses to worship God in faith, even though nothing has changed for her just yet. She puts her trust in the word uh, from the priest that God will grant her what she asks for. So as followers of Jesus, we are called to worship God in all circumstances too, called to pray and worship God in all circumstances, to worship in difficult situations, to worship and praise God, even when you don't receive what you so desperately long for, to worship and praise God, even when you face years of ridicule and persecution like Hannah, to bring a sacrifice of praise to him. This was how deep the faith of Hannah was despite her circumstances. And when we worship God, when we give our all to him, he will bless us abundantly in ways we might not expect. Early the next morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. And so God remembers Hannah, and she becomes pregnant. And after all this time, God remembers her and answers her prayer, her many, many prayers, and she receives a son and names him in honor of her prayer and God's response. The name Samuel means heard by God or God hears or he who is from God uh, or the son of God, as in one given or promised by God. Hannah gave birth and called her son Samuel because she asked the Lord for him and God heard her and gave him to her. And she had enough reason to be so discouraged, but when the promise of God was spoken, she did not lose faith. She held on to that hope and that word, even though it took time, a long time, that God would grant her what she asked of him. It took years. We don't know how long Hannah um, had been praying, but she continued to have faith until she inherited this promise from God. And the birth of Samuel was not a coincidence. It was a miracle, and it was this supernatural gift from God. 
It was an answer to prayer, and it showed that God is faithful and he will hear us. He will remember us. We learn here that the Lord is the key actor here, that Hannah petitioned her request. She submitted to God. Samuel was born because God remembered her, and everything depends on asking God and being answered by him. And we learn that Hannah is a model here of what it means to be a true disciple of God. She depended on the Lord for her needs. She trusted him, and she was grateful to God. As followers of Jesus, we can depend on him for our needs, and we are to adopt a posture of gratitude toward the Lord. And we now come to the part that was read earlier. Um, after learning about Hannah's story and seeing how long she has been praying for children, when her husband Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. So at this point, Hannah wants to take care of Samuel until he's a bit older, and she affirms her commitment to bring Samuel to serve God for the rest of his life. And she hasn't forgotten her promise to the Lord, and she has no plans to break it. And so uh, Elkanah says, do what seems best to you. Uh, he told her, stay here until you have weaned him. Uh, only may the Lord make good his word. And so the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. So husband says, okay, raise him, and then may the Lord fulfill his promise. Let God complete what he has done and establish his plans for Samuel. And so there was sort of three stages of weaning children in olden times. I found this interesting. This could have been maybe when he was two or three years old, uh, weaning off milk, or when he was around seven and he didn't need um, something like a nanny or a caretaker anymore, known as a dry nurse back then is what they called it. Or it could have been when he was older and more mature, like 12 years old. We're not too sure what age, um, but Hannah probably brought Samuel up to serve in the temple when he was able to, probably not when he was three and couldn't really do much. Um, so anyway, she kept her promise to God and presented him at the right time, and she followed through with her obedience. And after he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. So after he was old enough, Sam, Hannah finally took Samuel with her, and this must have been really, really hard, to have received that blessing you sought from God after so long, and then to give him fully back to the Lord. Elkanah and Hannah's willingness to fulfill the vow, even at such a personal cost for them, shows the godliness in them as they submitted to God. And in their gratefulness, they bring a really expensive sacrifice, the bull, the flower, and the wine, which re represents a worshiper's total dedication to God. And when the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli. Um, and, and she said to him, pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. And so they bring the boy to Eli, and she tells him that she was the one who prayed to the Lord that night when he thought that she was drunk. And Eli now finds out, I don't know how many years later this is, but Eli now finds out that she had prayed for a child. 
um, this child that the Lord granted to her. And now she gives him back to the Lord under Eli's care to be trained up by him to serve in the tabernacle. We see in Hannah this faith that yields to God, trusting in him, and this act of worship of giving back to God what or who he has given to her. Not that Hannah owned Samuel and was lending him to the Lord, but that Samuel is the fulfillment of her prayer to the Lord. And as a result of her faith, God did great things in her life and in Samuel's. It says in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 2 that because of her faith and devotion and obedience to the Lord, God blessed Elkanah and Hannah even more. She has five additional children overcoming her barrenness, and Samuel continues to serve the Lord. In contrast, Eli's sons were actually quite wicked. We're talking about the, the sons that were priests of um, the temple here. And Eli placed more importance on what their preferences were and tolerated their behavior, and he honored them more than God. This is in contrast to Hannah. And in the end, God killed them prematurely. Uh, we don't have time to get into that, but you can read more about that in 1 Samuel 2 as well. But we learn here that as parents, the decisions that we make, the actions and words that we model, they have influence. Hannah encouraged Samuel to value his service to God, and he developed into a godly man whom God honored and the people respected. And Samuel feared God, and he became a great blessing to others. As parents, we have the responsibility and the opportunity to have godly influence on our children. In a world that strays further and further from what God intended, we can have so much influence and share wisdom that we can impart on our kids or those younger than us that can speak to them and make a difference against all the ungodly things that they may be exposed to. Even though Hannah lived separately from Samuel, she was still such a great influence on him compared to Eli's sons. She was able to encourage him and pray for him. And one of the most powerful things that we can do for our children and those that we are responsible for is to pray for them and to pray with them, to recognize the incredible power of prayer. And from there, we need to trust that God will favor our children and pray that they will choose him too. Children are still responsible for their own decisions. We're all responsible for what we do. And as they grow up, they're free to choose how they live. And some may turn away from God, but the story here shows what can happen if we truly seek the hand of God to protect them and show them how to live in the light. They can grow up in an ungodly environment, but still become godly. Samuel continues to grow as a result of his commitment to God, which his mother nurtured from the start. He faithfully obeys God's will for him and recognizes he has been chosen to lead his people. He faithfully obeys God's will for him. He communicates to them as God's prophet and becomes a mouthpiece for God. God would reveal himself to Samuel through his word and use him to travel around as a judge and speak to the people who have failed to obey God and his commands. And he plays this key role as a faithful and wise leader in transitioning Israel to a united kingdom along with King Saul and King David. This was the great destiny in the kingdom of God for a boy born to a mother who could not have children before because of her faith. God will honor our dedication to him and he will respond to our faith. 
Hannah was barren and despised by, by Penina, and she became the mother of Israel's most powerful and respected man at this time because she trusted and obeyed God. She was blessed with fertility, more children, and Israel was given the spiritual leader that they needed. You never know how God will use your child to do great things, and you never know how God will use you as a parent to do great things or as a follower of Jesus. But it starts with having that unwavering faith and trust in him, that he will bless, protect, and guide you and your children, and to teach them to do the same. It starts with dedicating your children to the Lord. It doesn't mean that they have to become a monk or a nun, but to simply let go of our fears and our worries about our children and trust that God has got them, that he will care for them and be there throughout their lives to provide for them. Children are a gift from God, and by offering them to God, we are offering what we first asked him for and received from him. We are offering back what he has gifted us with. And dedicating your child means teaching them to worship and enter into a relationship with God when they are young. In Proverbs 22, 6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. This makes me think of my mom, um, who is a follower of Jesus and has really modeled for me what it means to serve and know God, maybe to an extreme, um, but she's someone who's always reminding me to seek God in my life, to the point where I would hear her voice in my head when I lived overseas for a time, are you reading your Bible? Are you going to church? When I was like thousands of kilometers away. It's so ingrained in me that even when I'm on vacation, I will often look up where I can attend church in, this, in that city. That's how much influence my mom has had on me. And as I look back at this story of Hannah and Samuel, I remember uh, that when God called me into ministry, I was, I was carrying a lot inside of me, um, unsure what exactly God was asking me to do. And I thought I was on this path to law school. Um, so this was a complete 180. And there was a lot of anxiety and stress about this calling, lack of support from some people, uh, what to do next, where to go study, seminary, how to pray, how to pay for it, and most of all, um, to be able to accept the calling, which took me a long time to fully embrace. And it's still something that I wrestle with sometimes. And as the process and discernment continued, I had a talk with my mom, and I remember her saying to me that someone shared with her, you know, God gave you three sons, I have two brothers, and he's just asking for one of them back now. You need to let him go. And I, at that moment, I completely broke down with her, with so much relief to hear that, um, while still not knowing what was ahead of me. And because even though I already knew that my mom supported me, I could see that it was still hard for her to let go and to really surrender me to Jesus. She probably thought I would end up in Ghana, which she definitely did not want. Um, but I'm still here, so thank God for, for my family's sake. And I'm not here to boast about my mom at all, but I share this for us to recognize that as parents, when we model that full surrender to God, he will bless us, and he will bless our children, and our kids uh, will watch and learn what it means to glorify God with the things that we say and do. Even without kids, we can be examples to those younger than us. Or as children, maybe we have people that we've looked up to, um, pastors here or leaders or someone who has shown us what it means to be a person of faith. To train up our children young means to teach them to trust in the Lord. And that's the root of it all. There's 
plenty of resources out there when it comes to parenting, and you can search Google for a lot of practical things too, but when it comes to our, our eternal destiny, parents can play a huge role in doing what we can to teach our children about who God is and what he has done for us. And it's about bringing them to God and the church and worshiping the Lord together. This is rare these days to see this in our world. It's not about obsessing over which school our child should go to, public, private, the best school in the city, which extracurricular activities they should be in, what career they should have. Please don't pressure them to the point that they're simply fulfilling your own dream or your dream for them. Discipline is good and it's needed, but it won't help to be overbearing and, and be those tiger moms or tiger dads, if you want to call it that. How many of us want to plan our, out our kids' entire lives and dream about it and steer them in that direction? We want them to go in without considering the desires and God's, their own desires and God's plan for them. How many of us experience this with our own parents? All these things are important, but they're not the definitive factor of what it means to be a human being as God intended us to be. And we cannot let the world push us or let our fear or drive and preconceived notions of what it means to be a good parent or successful person overshadow the fact that our job as parents is to teach our children how to trust in the Lord, which is so difficult to do because we might already struggle with trusting in God ourselves. But our purpose on earth is to glorify God in whatever we do. Same for our kids too. And we need to trust God knowing that our children are their own individuals they will become independent and our job as parents is to train them up so that they will not only serve the lord but to know him also so that they will love god with all their heart soul mind and strength that they will love themselves and love their neighbors as themselves and god will use them to do great things with the abilities and talents he has created them with and we need to nurture that and not force our own ideas or plans for them we need to be aligned with God's plans for us, God's plans for our children and our parents too. You never know how God will lead your child, how God will use you as a parent, or how God will use your child if you dedicate them to him. What would have, have happened if Hannah let her tears and sorrow get in the way, if she stopped seeking God and never had Samuel? She had no idea that she would give birth to a prophet, and even in her suffering, she still stood grounded in her faith for years. It must have been an incredibly hard journey for Hannah to want something so much that was out of her control. There are so many things that are out of our control, including how our child might quote unquote turn out or what their future will look like. And we just wanna do our best to protect them. I get that. And as a parent now myself, I can see how I am so not in control of my child. He's expressing his independence, he's in the room, and he's growing and exploring and it's amazing to see, but there's so much that I cannot control, especially right now uh, as I look back, I'm dealing with this um, injury and chronic pain and, and I just need to put all my trust in Jesus that I can heal and I can be able to do what he calls me to do as a parent and as a follower of Jesus. And there's nothing else I can do. That's the most I can do. And as a child, I think about my parents as they age and their health, but only God can take care of them fully. With so much out of our control, we need to ensure that we have that solid relationship with God and that we can trust in him because he is the one 
that is in control and watching over all of us. I can't stand up here and tell you to just trust in God without acknowledging that parenting and parent-child relationships can be complicated. They can be painful, not all good memories. And I really appreciate these pictures up here um, that recognize that Mother's Day, Father's Day, they can be joyful and or difficult days. And it can be complicated. And I get why, you know, they give you that option to unsubscribe from that Mother's Day or Father's Day emails because it can be really hard to deal with those days. And I hope you know that whatever your circumstances are, that God sees and hears and knows your heart. And in light of all that, perhaps we need to unlearn the broken. So, in light of all that, perhaps we need to unlearn the brokenness of generations past that have continued on as we learn how to parent better, to understand that our parents are not perfect. They have their brokenness just like we do, and they may be parenting us out of that brokenness that could have been passed down from our grandparents and so on. Whatever it may be, placing, you know, those huge unfair expectations on us that are pretty much unattainable or expecting that we know how to do things without them teaching us, but they just expect us to know. Maybe our parents have been abusive, and I'm sorry if that is your trauma. Maybe our parents have shut down our feelings and told us to be quiet, to be good boys and girls, and sit still, and they stifled our active and fun personalities, and just that natural exploration and discovery as we were growing up. Maybe they didn't allow us to speak, and we have had trouble finding our voice even into adulthood or they compare us with our friends' kids or cousins, and we don't feel good about that. Maybe they put us down, they don't listen, they insult us, or they don't allow us to have any fun and expect us to be robots that just study or work. Maybe our parents struggle with serious issues of their own, mental health, substance abuse, gambling. This stuff is real, and it's happening even in the church. And I apologize if this is triggering, but these are the kinds of things that we don't want to pass down to our children, where we say that this stops with my generation, and I'm going to change the family history here and direct myself and my family to Christ. We all experience brokenness as imperfect people, and we feel that void in our relationships, and we can take that responsibility to let go of any generational sin and seek healing, to understand and discover who God created us to be and to be nurtured by Jesus. And as parents, we are to nurture our children and point them toward Jesus. We may need to take the good stuff that we learned from our parents and also relearn how to parent in a way that will honor God and honor our children that was different from how we were raised, to break that cycle and see our kids through the eyes of Jesus. And that is tough to do, it's to have that patience and to, and to change, but we can be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can learn from Hannah that God will meet us and honor us because of our deep devotion to him. We can look to him as that ultimate example of a parent's love. And he understands how precious our children are because they are precious to him too. We all are. And he would know best because he had to part with Jesus, his son, for a time when Jesus came down to earth. 
to pay that price for our brokenness and sin because of his deep love for us. So we can trust in God because he knows what, it, what it's like as the Heavenly Father to see his own child suffering, even to the point of death. And we can trust that as our Heavenly Father, he wants what is best for us, for our kids, for our parents. And he doesn't leave us hanging, but he guides us in many ways when we are struggling with those parent-child relationships. He gives us that way to speak to him anytime in prayer like Hannah. He gives us wisdom and discernment of the Holy Spirit in us. He gives us his word, which we can read to get to know him more and to guide us. Because the Bible is full of examples like Hannah here of God's love for us and wisdom and instruction on how to live a life that honors and glorifies him. And he gives us community through the church. It can be hard to say what we're really feeling and dealing with or feel too vulnerable to share what we're going through at times. But I hope that we are not afraid to ask for help. That saying, it takes a village, really is true. In the kingdom of God, the fact that we're united by the cross of Jesus and what he did for us means that we can find spiritual parents or mentors if we, if we couldn't find that in our own parents or even friendships with peers who God can use to give us guidance, to mentor and disciple us and our kids, and for us to pour into others and their children too. Like Eli did for Samuel as he grew up at the temple, to be sensitive to one another and our circumstances, perhaps reaching out to those in different life stages, having honest conversations with those who may not have children or those who are still trying to have children and asking, how can we care for you? and vice versa. How can we be a part of caring for your kids? How can we help you raise your kids and support you as we grow up together in this community at Lord's Love Church? How can we help support you? And how are you doing as a parent? How can we help each other grow deeper in Christ? This story of Hannah's um, faith is a supreme example of faith and God's sovereignty, of what happens when we trust and obey God, when we commit to his will and receive his blessings, a reminder that God is faithful to his promise to bless those who put him first. Hannah went from barrenness to birth, bitterness and anguish to thanksgiving, helplessness, weakness, and need toward dependence on God and well-being. She emerges as this person of outstanding faith and is able to have a son who becomes a powerful leader, yearning for so long to have a kid, and after finally having him, she dedicates him knowing he belongs to the Lord. Dedicate yourselves and your children to the Lord and be a godly influence on them. Ask him to equip you and help you see them through his eyes so that you can teach your children to worship and obey him in all circumstances, to come to God in times of trouble, to pray in every situation so that they can find their peace in him, to depend on him and trust in his word, knowing that he will provide, to lean on community because we cannot do it alone, and to come before the Lord with a posture of gratitude and service, for he is faithful and he will hear you and remember you and bless you. If you were looking for some practical parenting advice, I'm not here to give that today. I'm not an expert on parenting. I'm not a therapist or a social worker or a childhood educator. And there are a lot of great resources out there already. But what I can tell you as a father, as a child of my parents, as a child of God, as a follower of Jesus, as a brother in Christ, is that if you put your trust in him, he will not forsake you. 
I may not be able to tell you how that looks in your circumstances, but I can testify to the goodness of God. Whether life is currently joyful for you or a struggle, God will never leave you in times of sorrow and grief and sadness. He will be right there with you if you are parenting a young child and up in the middle of the night and exhausted from lack of sleep, or if you're feeling alone and isolated postpartum, or if you're feeling inadequate as a dad, he will guide you as you parent your teenage children, possibly, who are being exposed to so many different things today in this world, and he will walk alongside you if you are like Hannah and yearning for a child. He will honor your faithfulness to him if you serve and glorify him. And it's not about using our own strength and what we can do, but because of who God is and what he has done for us and what he can do for us and what he will do for us. Remember that God is for you. He is for your kids. He is for your parents. God is for your unborn children. He is for your children or parents who have passed. And God is for you and not against you. And that alone is enough for us to praise him and give all that we are and all that we have to him. So dedicate yourselves to the Lord. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I lift up to you every single person in this room right now and our, circ our specific circumstances for those who may not want children because they grew up in a family where they didn't feel loved and they were mistreated or neglected, forgotten, abandoned. May they feel valued and experience your deep love. For those who might have lost a child or a parent or both parents, for those wrestling in their relationship with their parents or their children or both, for those who are unable to have kids or are still trying or on that path of singleness, wanting to meet someone to have a family with. For those who are just wrestling with life as a parent and the sacrifices needed, adjusting to that loss of freedom in a different capacity. For those whose children or parents don't know you or have drifted from you, God. You see and you hear everything and you know what is on our hearts and we surrender to you, Lord. And we Help us, God, to do our best to be godly children and godly parents. Use us to have a godly influence on those around us. And Father, would you please protect and watch over the families here at Lord's Love Church and guide this whole community, this village. May there, may there be unity, deep love, and concern for one another. And may they dedicate themselves to you, O oh God. Amen.